Hey, you guys, you're listening to episode 18 of the Finish Line podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today, we'll be sitting down with Matt Latorno, the CEO of Neverthirst, a nonprofit that brings the gospel to unreached people groups through clean water. Guys, welcome to the show. My name is Keelan Hobelman, and I'm here with my co-host and brother Cody. On today's episode, we're joined by Matt Latorno, the CEO of Neverthirst. Neverthirst is a fantastic organization that connects indigenous pastors to regional well drilling teams to bring clean water and the gospel message to some of the poorest unreached people groups in Africa and Asia. He has a unique perspective from the nonprofit side of things for those of us seeking to steward God's wealth wisely. He also has an endless supply of inspiring stories of tremendously generous donors and other Christians he's worked with. Stay tuned to hear what he has to say. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you guys that everything we do here on the Finish Line team is 100% free and always will be. If you're getting a lot out of this podcast and want to help us get the message to others, the best thing you can do for us right now is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're the first to know when new episodes come out. And with that, let's get started. All right, we're here with Matt Latorno, and Matt, it's great to have you here with us on the podcast. You know, your work with Neverthirst and all the work you guys are doing to not only bring clean water, but living water all over the world is very encouraging, and and I think you have a unique perspective on a lot of the kinds of questions that we like to talk about uh, here on the show. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, guys. So why don't you get started just telling us a little bit of background about who you are and and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I mean, I I don't consider myself overly interesting, but a little bit of background on me is I grew up in Metro Atlanta, grew up in an attending church. Uh, I would say that I stayed away from a lot of traditional vice, as it were, but, you know, grew up bowing down to the altar of Almighty Sports and rode that wave as far as it could take me. And it came crashing down my sophomore year of college, and I was left pretty much identityless. didn't really know who I was, what I could do, what I wanted to do. And in God's providence and grace to me, I was introduced to a campus ministry, and there was a volunteer in that ministry who was a, a tax attorney, of all things. And if you know him, if you know me, that's the polar opposite of my personality and my giftings and how, I, how my brain works. And he just invited me to be in the Word with him and come to a Bible study, and I was absolutely floored. And went to a Bible study with about six other guys a year old, year older than me. They were studying the first chapter, the first fourteen verses, actually in Ephesians one. And I had never heard the scriptures discussed in that kind of a way, where it was intimate, where it was deep, where there were sincere questions, thoughtful answers. And I was really convicted, and I was also just very attracted to that type of studying of the Scriptures. A really long story, a lot shorter, is that I ended up being in this Bible study, and this guy, Nick, started meeting with me every week for about two years, and he discipled me. And I really came to a deep, deep understanding of, number one, my own sinfulness and depravity and my need for the grace and the mercy of God. And I collided with that grace and mercy of God at Auburn University as a sophomore, and was discipled and was encouraged to give my life away. So much so that when I graduated from Auburn, I ended up going on staff with that campus ministry in Pennsylvania for four years and then back in Alabama for a number of years ministering to college students. That led me to Atlanta, where I was working with a lot of urban population and international population in the city. Cool thing about that is I had a lot of autonomy, formed my own board, and one of the guys on my board owned his own management consulting firm. And the time was really right. I I could sense my time with that organization was coming to a close. And he invited me to join him in his management consulting practice. And so I ended up starting my own LLC and doing 1099 work for a couple of different guys in the management consulting and leader development world for about four years until, you know, as it were, God has a certain way of of really speaking clearly to you. And and with me, a lot of times it's just through pain. And I had 
just horrible, horrible. I mean, luck is not the word, just circumstances of deals falling through. I had 17 deals literally fall through the cracks and was blowing through my savings to provide for my family. And I was just on my face before the Lord saying, God, what do you want? What do you want me to do? And this opportunity came up with never thirst. And my wife brought it to me and said, I really think that this fits you and what they're doing. And I think you should pray about doing it. And so when, when you say you pray about something, a lot of times we in the South, and I know that you guys are not in the South, we say, yeah, we'll pray about that. And then we never pray about it. Anyway, when you actually do pray about it, it could be really dangerous because God can speak. And so he did. And he opened the door for us to come and work at Neverthirst, uh, which meant moving our family to Birmingham from Atlanta. And it's been, we just finished two years here in Birmingham and, and being able to lead the organization. And it's been the most phenomenal two years on record so far for me in terms of professionally and spiritually. And so never thought I would end up raising my kids in Birmingham, but here I am and I'm loving it. And God has been gracious. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about the Never Thirst story, how everything got started and what kind of work you guys are doing now, what that ministry looks like on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, absolutely. So perhaps some of your listeners have heard of a a book called Radical, which was written by a guy named David Platt. And so I guess when David was really young and coming out of seminary, he was invited to be a guest preacher at a church here in Birmingham called the Church of Brook Hills. And he preached a sermon on Psalm, Psalm 67, one and two. And there were three businessmen in the audience that day who it just wrecked their lives. I mean, it really wrecked their lives because the premise of the the sermon was, have you disconnected God's blessing with, from God's purpose, you know? And it's like, and he called it the great disconnect. And they said, man, we have all this, all these things, you know, and God has blessed us with all these resources. And we really feel like we've disconnected his, you know, his blessings from his, from his purpose. You know, we're just, we're living almost duplicitously. And so what that did is that sent them on a year-long journey of just going on mission trips all over the world and being exposed to extreme abject poverty. And they took the second year, that was 06 and 07, they took the entire year to just meet together and pray every week for hours, praying, seeking the Lord, Lord, what do you want us to do with our lives? What do you want us to do with our business? Which led them to one final mission trip at the end of 07, which was in Wito, South Sudan or Sudan at the time before the civil war, before it was Sudan and South Sudan. And they ended up in a village in Wito and met a woman and asked her where she got her water. And she walked them about a mile and a half off the trail back through the, the jungle. And they came up on an algae covered pond. If you've ever seen or been exposed to the water crisis, it's every picture of the water crisis you've ever seen. Just the grossest, nastiest algae covered water. She says, this is where we get it. And I come, you know, four or five times a day. And they said they looked at each other right then and said, this is it. This is what God wants us to do is he wants us to meet a physical need so that we can have access to meeting a spiritual need with people who have no access to one clean water and no access to anyone telling them about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so they went back, they formed a board, they got a 501c3, they raised the money, they did a well in Wito. And that was the first Never Thirst project. David Platt heard about it. He wrote about it in his book, Radical saying that the church was going to commit to do a hundred wells in India that next year, the church got behind it and it was like pouring rocket fuel on never thirst. And it was really launched from there. That's so cool to hear that three men can come together and hear something. And we hear this time and time again, someone read a book, someone talked to someone and it just changed their whole perspective and they could never view the world the same way again. Could you share a little bit more about what Neverthirst is working on today and a little bit about what your goals are going forward? Yeah, absolutely. So there's lots of great water organizations, but I really love our model. Neverthirst, if you go to our website, neverthirstwater.org, you can read all about this and see how we go about putting water in the ground and how we go about bringing the living water as well. So what we do is that we try to go to the farthest and the most unreached places on the planet that number one, don't have access to the gospel and number two, don't have access to clean water. And what we do is we subscribe to what's called a true community development model. You know, in the nonprofit world, you know, there's kind of a, I believe Brian Ficker and and these guys made this real popular phrasing in uh, When Helping Hurts, their book, When Helping Hurts. 
like how can you do the most good and the most help without doing damage or you know belittling or enabling local communities uh, to be number one dependent on someone else and also going in and disrespecting them as a people group by telling them that you're better and smarter and going to solve all their problems for them instead of bringing them into being the main voice in the solution. So we at Never Thirst have absolutely no kind of Western white face, if you will, or just Western presence in our sites. We work through local partners on the ground, which means that we work with a network of underground churches and itinerant evangelists in these countries that we work in. And we find local uh, government at least the government knows that they exist drilling companies because the places that we work, you know, have no water. And so actually drilling companies are a thing. And so we will go and we will vet them as a small business. And then we will try to coach them up in their small business to learn how to scale. And a lot of times these people in these third world scenarios, they they're thinking day to day, you know, some of them came from being subsistence farmers into working in this business. And they're not used to thinking 12 months, much less three to five year strategic plans with scale. And so we go and try to help them think, how can we launch our business of creating appropriate water solutions for the areas that we're working in? And we, make sure that they do excellent work that provides safe water for the community and they have to do it through an implementing pastor. So we set the pastor up as kind of the hero of the story for the people who are getting this clean water. So for instance, we'll do a, a conference in a place like India, which there's anti-conversion laws. It's illegal to be a Christian. The president there has said they're going to eradicate Christianity and Islam by the year 2023. And he's doing a phenomenal job at wiping it out. So we're having our leaders in India are having clandestine meetings where they might gather 200 pastors in one region that we're working in. They're all underground. They're all tied into the underground church. He says, Hey, listen, this is going to be really hard work, but if you want to be given five villages, we'll connect you with our drillers and we'll go in to this village. And you have to say, number one, ask them, do you want clean water? If they say yes, then they have to raise a repair fund of $150 to $250 so that they have skin in the game. And they are agreeing to learn how to take care of that solution, know where to go to buy a replacement part, know how to replace it if it ever breaks. And so it's really community owned and it's really community development. It's not relief. It's not rehab. It's true development where the community comes in and owns it. It's theirs. It's not never thirst. It's not this drilling companies. It's truly their community and they're using it and taking care of it. But the pastor facilitates the whole thing. So he's the one get raising the repair fund. He's the one saying, do you want clean water? He's the main point of contact. He's everything. And he's saying, the reason why we're here is because you've been made in the image of God and he wants you to have clean water. But what he wants you to know more is he wants you to have living water and he shares, he's able to share the gospel. And what we see is movements of the gospel, just multiplying all over places that you've never heard of in the third world throughout Africa and Southeast Asia, just through these house church movements, because people are getting something as simple as clean water. We want to mimic Jesus's ministry as closely as possible by meeting physical needs for the ultimate purpose of meeting their ultimate spiritual need. Yeah, that's an incredible model. I didn't actually understand all the depth of how far you guys have gone to really make that a community-led and community-owned effort from start to finish. So that's truly amazing. As you were talking, I was kind of curious, how do you get connected to these different regions or kind of build your network of, well, I guess especially of the the pastors and the Christians that you're working with in these local areas, uh, and then also with the drilling teams? Yeah, so we have a chief strategy officer who has a background in all, all things water <laughs> um, and also ha has lived internationally. And so all, all of our programs, people have either been raised internationally or live internationally. Uh, Jason Berry lives in Brisbane, Australia. He spent a lot of his life living in Cambodia. John Sides uh, grew up in Taiwan, has uh, international development degree. Uh, Amanda Stillman, who's our Africa director, lives currently in Chad, Africa, but was raised in Indonesia and has lived in the Middle East and 
all over Africa and Southeast Asia. And so really we have an embarrassment of riches of, of people on a team who are deeply, deeply networked with other organizations that have, you know, underground church networks that we work with and communicate with and say, where are the places that you would like to go in the places where we have, I guess, never thirst approved or organizationally, you know, stamp of approval, water drilling organizations. So we won't engage in a project unless we have an implementing pastor. We're not just going to punch a hole in the ground or do a water solution without actually an implementing pastor that we can guarantee that the living water will be delivered as well as the clean and safe drinking water. So the way that we go about that is just through, honestly, it's relational networks. And we're only currently working in seven countries. About We're about to announce our eighth country that we're going to be currently working in here in about three weeks. And so what that allows us to do is that allows us to keep our circles really small in the countries we're in, but allow us to grow really wide regionally throughout that country because we're helping scale these businesses and we get to work with the same pastor networks. And so it's all very strategic that way. So we're not just kind of like a, a shotgun blast everywhere. We really want to try to be a lethal pistol shot in the regions that we're working until the entire water sanitation and hygiene crisis is solved in the place that we're working. And then we'll move next door and we do it with the same cast of characters. Yeah, what I love about that is I think that there's a lot of organizations who have a kind of a provision purpose of some kind, and they try to tie the gospel in as like an add-on. But it sounds like the way you guys have run things from the start is to lead completely with the gospel itself in the movement of the Great Commission and to use water as a means to that end. Yeah, Keelan, if I could just tell a quick story on that that came to mind when you were saying that is, you know, I took this job in April of 2019, June of 2019. I was on a plane to Cambodia and then to India via Cambodia. Spent a week in Cambodia visiting our projects and our partners, then ended up in, in India. And we work in a region in the northeast part of India, two regions, actually. One's called Jharkhand, another one is Assam. I was in Jharkhand region, desperately poor. I mean, desperately poor. And the caste system makes it worse. And so we were in a village. And and it was crazy because my kid's dentist had sponsored a, a hand pump in this village, Shelby Pediatric Dentistry, greatest dentistry in the world. If you have kids in Shelby County and they have teeth, you got to go to this guy. Anyway, he had sponsored this well. I go and I was doing a video to show him all the people that were being blessed you know, off of this hand pump in this village in Jharkhand. And I meet the implementing pastor. It's a guy named Pastor Budram. And and I'm getting his, you know, getting to know him. It's all through interpretation, of course. And I and I asked the interpreter, I said, will you ask him what just to tell me the story of this village and and what it took for him to get a hand pump in this village, just thinking, oh, they didn't want to hear the gospel. And, you know, now they now they did because we got them clean water. Right. That's what my expectation was. Well, he proceeds to tell me through interpretation, and forgive me if I get choked up saying this, but he says, well, I had, God had put this village on my heart for a year. And so I started coming here and sharing the gospel of Jesus with, with this village. And they told me they did not want to hear what I had to say. But I was compelled by the Holy Spirit to continue to come and try to share with them that they could have hope and life in Jesus Christ. And they said, do not tell us this anymore and do not come back here. And he said, but yet I was still compelled to go. And so I went and oftentimes I would bring my family. And on one time that I brought them, they ended up killing my five-year-old and my seven-year-old sons. And they said, we told you not to ever come back here. And what they ended up doing is they, and I have pictures, if you have show notes, I'd love to attach this to you. They, they were walking from where the, our hand pump was. They were walking about a quarter of a mile back away from the center of the village and getting water from an open well. You know, it was, it was disgusting, obviously, you know, full of pathogens that were making them sick. And they put two armed guards at the well, the current well, the open well, with machetes and said, if anyone talks to this man, you are you will not be able to draw water from this. And when we talk about drawing water, it was like one of the village girls showed us. We walked there. She showed us. They would climb down into the well with cups and like scoop it up cup at a time and bring it back up and dump it into a like a little a pan. 
And so it was so dire to where they, they murdered, martyred, right, his two young sons and put two armed guards with machetes at the only water source near the village and said, no one can talk to this man. Our guy on the ground in India that is ministering to our pastors and sourcing pastors for us and, and connecting us with the underground church, they, they met. And he said, brother, if God has still burdened your heart for this village, I can get you clean water to bring to them. And he said, yes, absolutely. My heart is still burdened for these people. And so he went back to them and says, brothers and sisters, if, if I can get you clean water, will you listen to me? And they said, yes, if you can get us clean water, we, we will listen to you. And sure enough, they went through the entire process. You know, we have all the, the contracts and they raised the repair fund and they put skin in the game and we drilled and it was successful and it was a high yield well. And now I have a picture. I can send you this picture. And it's him surrounded by the people who have trusted in Jesus and have formed a house church in that village. And he's with them. And he's literally gone to the people who killed his family and loved them with the love of Christ. And the only way that was able to break through to them was by getting them clean water. And so that is never thirst full circle. And, you know, we have a wall in our office called the Hebrews 1138 wall because Hebrews 1138 starts with men of whom the world is not worthy. These are men who I really believe the world is not worthy. I mean, they are going into the teeth of hell and standing and loving their enemies, praying for those who persecute them. And it's only because they're able to help meet a physical need. That's the only key that opens up spiritual conversation toward these people are like, no one else is doing this. And I have this, these stories, golly, it's, it's mind boggling. I appreciate you sharing that story. It's stuff like that. It's conversations like these that get me really excited, but also really motivated to do more than I'm doing now, at least. And I can't help but share stories like that with other people, even though I wasn't there firsthand. That's compelling. And I can't imagine being in that position and reacting that same way. That is a man of God. And that is such an amazing story. And when I hear stories like that, it makes me say, how can I be supporting stuff like that? What can I be doing to participate in some small way in the incredible work that God's doing through people like you, through organizations like Never Thirst? But it wouldn't be the Finish Line podcast if we didn't talk about money a little bit. So I did want to address how you connect donations with the the end people who are receiving the benefit of these funds. So I was hoping you could just share some perspective on on those questions. Yeah. So the way that we've set it up at Never Thirst is that we have projects that people can can donate to depending on the country. So some places have access to lots of water. It's very wet in some areas like Cambodia and things like that. And so they don't actually need wells. So we have customized solutions regardless of where we are. So we, you know, in those places, they might have access to water very close to them and all they need is filtration. So we'll do like what's called a biosand filtration system that goes to every home. All the way up to, you know, in India, we'll have a project starting at $3,500. That's a, just a hand pump where we drill. And it's very easy, you know, because there's a, a high water table to access the aquifer. And it's easy for a woman or a young girl to be able to pump water into their water can, you know, that they use for the day. In other places, it's like extremely mountainous, like in Nepal, where we have to literally trench with, with the people in the village who put physical skin in the game literally with pickaxes, like we're tr they're trenching in the Himalayas and tapping into a spring and running piped water down into their homes. And it's unbelievably intensive labor because you're in the Himalayas, <laughs> you know, in Nepal. And so it's more, you know, more expensive, like over $10,000, $13,000, dollars $15,000, all the way to like Chad, Africa, Sub-Sahara Africa, where, man, you're talking about doing just a massively deep drilling project where we have to implement massive amounts of solar panels and build an entire structure on which to place the solar panels and then build a tower, which the solar panels will suck the water out from the aquifer, put it in a huge storage tank, and then gravity feed it down into basically a little a spit where, where a, a young girl, since it's the girl's job to get water can just turn like a spigot and water will, will flow like crazy. And that's a, you know, 25,000 to $50,000 solution, depending on how hard it is to access 
the water. So what we have is if someone has $10 to give to Neverthirst for clean water, we'll take that $10 and we'll put it into a general fund, you know, that will fund any one of those things. Or we give people the opportunity to say, hey, our family feels really burdened for India. And so we want to do it a, a well in India and we do a plaque on that well and it has the exact GPS coordinates of where that well is. It has your family's name on it or your business name on it or your whoever you donated in, in memory of or in honor of on it. And we send you all of that in a report at the end, as well as testimonies from the women whose lives have been impacted in terms of this was my, where I was getting water. This is what my life was like to now. Wow. This is my water solution that you paid for, for me. And thank you so much. And this is how it's changed my life and my fan and all of our village life. And a testimony from the implementing pastor saying, Hey, I've been praying to reach these people for forever. And because of your generosity, let me just tell you what God has done in this place because of your sacrificial giving. And we put all of that together in a report and we'll send it to them from $3,500 for an India well all the way up to a $25,000 plus solar water system in sub-Saharan Africa. And so there's just different levels to get involved with, with Neverthirst. And that's generally depending on what your resources are and what your heart is for the, for the ministry. That's how people generally give. As I've talked to more people about how excited I am to support organizations like Neverthirst, I get a variety of different reactions. Some people say, hey, that's really amazing. I could see myself supporting an organization like that as well, all the way to I don't trust organizations to steward these dollars well. I don't know what they're doing with those dollars, and I'm not sure how I could verify it. So I'd rather just handle it myself or not at all. And I was hoping you could just speak to those people. Honestly, I think because of the poor fiduciary malfeasance of others that have led nonprofits and ministries in the past, even today, you know, as we see scandal happening, even from some of our heroes in the faith. And as someone who gives money, I really do want to know who is stewarding that money, what it's going to, if it's being used responsibly, and if it's actually being used for what I've allocated it to be used for. I really do have a soft spot in my heart for the skeptical giver. And I used to not. And I used to be mad. Like when I saw people who, you know, there was perceived wealth and it didn't seem very generous or whatever, you know, and that was my own judgmental spirit. And I need to repent of that, right? Because I don't know. Like I have no idea what these people are giving and how much they're giving and things like that. But what I also would say to them, I would encourage them that if they're skeptical is that they would go and look at who is vetting the nonprofits that they're hearing about or in an area that they're interested in or that they have a burden for. So if it's child trafficking or if it's water or just gospel ministry somewhere in the world or somewhere in the country, who's the third party watchdog that's really holding them to the fire that will tell you what they're doing with their money. And so we at Neverthirst work relentlessly, as well as a lot of other organizations, relentlessly on making sure that the percentages that we spent actually put into programs and on admin and overhead will always keep us within a four-star charity navigator rating and a platinum guide star rating of transparency and a top 10 ROI in terms of return on investment for bang for your buck for ministry. We die on that hill. I mean, that is a hill we die on. And if you are interested in something and you look at a nonprofit and they don't have those kind of credentials, then I would say you're justified in asking questions as to why do they not? Because there's enough third-party watchdogs out there that are keeping score that you can have a great deal of confidence that your investment is going where you want it to go and it's being spent how you want it to be spent because these folks are just all over us. I mean, the, the amount of paperwork and transparent, I mean, it's, it's intense. So that, that's what I would also say to that. One of the perks of doing what I do is I, I really do get a chance to fly around the country and meet with people that have access to a lot of means and, and understand what it is that makes them tick. Why are they talking to guys like me? And honestly, what I've learned is I, I would ask, have you just really not heard a very clear and compelling vision? that has captivated your heart, that has moved you, that has resonated in your spirit. Because I think there's a lot of that out there too. The more and more I travel, the, the biggest feedback, and I think the, the most confirming and affirming feedback that we get at, at Neverthirst is that we made a clear decision a long time ago is that we do one thing. 
we do water and we do it through the local church in these countries, you know, and a lot of times it's a clandestine underground church, but that's what we do. And we don't do education and we don't do sports ministry and we don't do all these things because honestly, if you solve the water crisis, you're solving like not just health and addressing orphan crisis and education for young girls and raising women up the ladder in their society and addressing human trafficking because that's where traffickers hang out, you know, on these paths, these well-worn paths for these little girls to get water four or five hours a day. You know, it's addressing all those things, but it's just simple for people to get on board with or off board with. I just think people don't hear clear, compelling vision. And so what I've learned is a lot of people give, and Cody, you're in the financial services industry. What I've learned is a lot of people will meet with their financial planners and they'll decide what's the most advantageous thing that they can do tax-wise. And they'll put it into a donor advice fund and then forget they ever did it. And it just sits there forever. And so to that person, I would say, hey, that's already gone. You can't get that back. That's not yours anymore. You set that aside. You've gotten your tax receipt on that. So let's utilize that and deploy that in the kingdom. And as far as I know, you can't use that just on individuals. You have to put that into some sort of a 501c3, or at least maybe there's some tax code where you can stick that into a B Corps or some sort of impact business. But man, those are the ones that really get me. If it's somebody that is like, you know, I, I am surrounded by need. You know, I would rather just provide for the needs of of my neighbors that I'm surrounded by. I think that's absolutely biblical, you know, and I actually think maybe that's in some cases that's more biblical because you're not doing it to get any sort of a tax benefit. You're just doing it because you love your neighbor. <laughs> and so I would say people have misused funds that they've been entrusted with, which has caused distrust and, and, and well-deserved distrust in our industry. I would say people have not heard clear and compelling vision, and that keeps them from giving. And I would also say that some people are just called to rightfully and sacrificially and quietly love their neighbors by giving directly to individuals and people who are in need, and no one would ever know about it. And they're not going to get recognized for it. They're not going to get a plaque. They're not going to get a report. But man, they would have loved their neighbor well. And I applaud that. And I hope that more people do that everywhere when you see need close to you. Yeah, you brought up a couple of good points there. I completely agree about the vision, and that has been so true for my wife, Allie, and me when we have really been captured by that vision, not only of just an organization or a nonprofit, but of kind of God's greater vision, because God's moving all around us, and He's doing incredible things that we're completely unaware of just because we're focused in on our day-to-day lives and just getting through to the next day. But God is doing incredible stuff. And even just doing this podcast as God has opened the two of our eyes to some of the things that that God's doing, that just like you're saying, it, it gets us excited to be a part of it. And so, you know, I think that vision is so key. And to some degree, I think we have to be looking for that vision. You know, you have to be seeking it out and then and then you'll find it. And obviously you guys have a an amazing vision and a very clear vision for what you're purposes and what you're doing. And I think, you know, that's incredibly important. You brought up a couple other points also that I kind of wanted to get your opinion on. And and we've talked about elsewhere on the podcast, but we always come back to this point that we are managers of really what belongs to God, that any money or wealth that comes through our hands belongs to God, always has belonged to God and always will. And we are just stewards or managers of that wealth. We obviously take out some to cover our own expenses and to support our families. But ultimately, we are responsible for how we manage that well. And, you know, just from your unique perspective as the upper leadership of a a large nonprofit, I'm curious for how you kind of think about that calling on us as believers. How should we manage God's money well? And there's a couple of different ways to think about that. One is, how do we balance our giving for provision and meeting tangible physical needs versus our giving missionally towards advancing the Great Commission? Obviously, in Neverthirst, you guys do both, I think, very well. And that's you know a huge testament to what you guys do. But I'm curious for kind of what you think about that balance as, as we try to steward money well, how we balance between physical needs and spiritual needs. Well, it's a great question. You know, the thing that comes to mind is that we are both physical beings and spiritual beings. And so, you know, we're not following some 
ethereal Gnosticism, right, where we're just spirit. I think the times that we're living in, in the United States in 2021, is actually an incredible picture of what can happen when you jettison meeting physical needs for a philosophy that is only addressing the eternal nature of the spirit. I think that's what happened with modern-day evangelicalism post-World War II, where some of the greatest evangelists of all times said the body is temporary, but the spirit lasts forever. And so the only thing that matters is gospel messaging. And somehow we sacrificed gospel neighboring on the altar of just gospel messaging. And the gospel message was clear and correct and orthodox and good. And scores of people came into relationship with Jesus Christ and and it's impacted generations and it's impacted the nations. But I think at the neglect of, of physical needs, it now we look back and say, well, how tone deaf is that, right? And, and I guess the example that I would share is I was in another city and I'll just be veiled in, in this, but I was in a city that I do not live in and I was meeting with a ministry organization that I did not and do not work for. And I was in their offices and there was a picture of people in their ministry organization sharing with a with a group of people, but it was in an area that I didn't know that they worked in terms of, I didn't know that you utilized this philosophy to minister, which it seemed like a little bit more mercy ministry type of approach. And they told me, they said, well, they said, we never had done that before until we went to a, a village in this country and we were sharing the, our gospel presentation with the people and a little boy died of starvation in the middle of the presentation. And he hadn't eaten in who knows how long, but yet they bought the plane tickets. They had all the strategy. They understood the language and they were sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with these people who are in desperate need of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ for eternity. But in that present moment, they were also in desperate need of a sandwich. And it was just completely overlooked. And this poor child passed away in the middle of the gospel presentation. They said, this is first of all, tragic. And second of all, this is a terrible look on you know what we're doing. And so they created a separate branch off their organization to address more mercy type ministries to address physical and spiritual needs. Listen, God gave us a body. Jesus was hungry, asked for food. <laughs> he, he ate and drank. He had a physical body. And so if you look at his ministry, he met physical needs. He cared about the physical needs of the people that were put in his path. So to me, do we sacrifice one over the other? Well, I think meeting physical needs without addressing spiritual needs is just philanthropy. But meeting spiritual needs without addressing blatant physical needs is tone deaf at best and irresponsible probably all the other times, you know? I think there's an amazing opportunity for where we are right now in the United States, in the Western world, to be participating in a lot of different ways. It starts with awareness and getting captivated by a vision and supporting in a number of different ways. We, on this show, talk a lot about supporting financially some of these causes and organizations. And I was hoping you could share a little bit about how your role has shaped your view of generosity in the United States and any stories that you might be willing to share about people going above and beyond to help someone on the other side of the world that they may never meet? Yeah, great question, Cody. Man, I have experienced things that I never thought were were even possible. I've been tremendously, tremendously humbled sitting across the table in living rooms with some of our donors who live very modestly and, and very humbly. And if you were to meet them just on the street or in the store or at church, you would never know that they are just wealthy beyond your wildest imagination because they just don't live like it. And then I'll sit in meetings and in homes where it's like the, the nicest place I've ever been. I'm afraid to touch anything. You know, and and they live an incredibly comfortable and even almost lavish lifestyle, and and these people are incredibly generous as well. You know, and I, I've seen all things. I think the one that really comes to mind though 
is we have a couple who give to Never Thirst who found us actually on a, on a podcast. They were listening to a podcast and someone mentioned Never Thirst and, and they found us and they looked us up and all the watchdogs and the ratings were important to them. And they said, okay, well, we, we like this organization and just sent like $100,000 out of the blue, like a personal check, you know, like wasn't out of a donor advised fund or anything like that. It's like ink on, on, a, on paper in a personal checking account. You know, most major givers are are giving at, you know asset based type giving and not it's more illiquid. But this is just straight up cash. <laughs> you know, obviously our development officer, being a good development officer, called and said, "Hey, thank you so much, and I'd love to come and meet you." And so we went and met them. And through the course of just getting to know them and getting to know their story and how they heard about Neverthirst, just found out that you know this guy was a business owner and his business was not doing very well and he had made a promise to his wife when they were in grad school that if she married him, he promised he would buy her a Ferrari. She would drive a Ferrari and they would have the finest of everything. And they went for that lifestyle. I mean, they were going for broke just to have it all. And years down the road, he found himself in a place where his business was struggling, even though they were still doing well financially. And he was super convicted about how he was living and how he was spending money and he said it was feeling pretty empty and just in the car felt conviction from the Holy Spirit and sensed that the Lord was asking him to give away 51% of all the profits of his business forever. And so he called his wife and said, I really think God wants us to give away 51% of all the profits of our business. And on the spot, she said, absolutely. That is absolutely what God wants us to do. Like no discussion, no argument, no nothing. Just absolutely, that is correct. <laughs> you know, I, I feel the same way. And so these folks have just started giving away 51% of all the profit from their business. And what I've seen over the last two years, I've known them for two years because I've been in this role two years, is that it's become almost manic. I mean, I've never seen anyone more joyful and excited to give than these people. They can't help themselves. They'll say, Hey, we're going to commit to X amount this year. And then they'll hit it and they'll be like, ah, what else? You know, we saw that there's like this new project, you know, and these people, they don't have clean water and you have the pastor set up and it needs funding. And so we're going to send that too. And come and meet with all of our 10 friends that we've asked to join us in this project because they have to hear about this too. And we want to put up a match of X amount of dollars because we want to help encourage people to be generous. And we know if we're the first ones in, then, you know, it'll double our donation and we just want to do all that we can. And then when I thought it couldn't get any more crazy, they said to me, gosh, we really feel like we could do more. And so they went to a generous giving conference up in Memphis, you know, with Alan Barnhart and uh, the Barnhart Crane and Rigging guys and came back and said, we have so much growing to do in our generosity. And we just can't wait to start even giving away more and including our children. And so they called and said, hey, you know, we're donating all these projects and all of our kids' names and all of our friends' names. And we want to travel in the fall to go see it so that our kids can get exposed to what life is like with most people in the world and through the water crisis and what God is doing overseas. And so we're about to travel with them to Uganda in September (laughs) with his brother and sister-in-law and their parents, who they've roped onto all of this, who through their example, his brother is saying, hey, man, like I went from like buying a yacht to saying, well, I don't need a yacht. I just need a nice fishing boat. uh, Maybe I can just get a 30 footer. Uh, Maybe I can forget it. I'm not going to get a boat. I'm going to give it to people that don't have water and don't have access to the gospel. What do I need a boat for? It's been utterly contagious. Like every single person that they're around now has got the bug for being generous. And they're the most joyful people I've ever been around. And their kids are seeing this and telling their friends. I mean, it's just, it's been unbelievable. So anyway, that's just one story. I could wax eloquent forever on, or ineloquent probably forever on how I've seen incredibly generous people and and sacrificial giving. And gosh, I was on a plane, I was on a runway in Portland last week. And I get a text from a guy who never had a ton of wealth, but later on in life has done just incredibly well opening up a store. And he said, Matt, you have no idea about this, but he goes, 30 years ago, God gave me a heart for nomads, Muslim nomads. And when I found out that you guys were working in Chad, Africa with Muslim nomads, he was like, 
this is the answer to my prayer for 30 years. I've seen that it's costing like half a million bucks a year or something like that to begin to start saturating the region that you're in over the next five years. He goes, I want my family to do that. And they live modestly. And he sent his first $100,000 gift in when I was sitting on a runway in Portland. And I just started crying. And I was just like, this guy, he lives so simply and God has blessed him so richly later on in life. And then he's gone to his son who's younger than I am. And he's like, I want you to match me in this. <laughs> and he's encouraging his son. And he's like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And then he goes, hey, Matt, I also have a list of 10 guys in Chicago that I want to fly and meet with you guys up there. And I want you to present this because I want to pull them into this as well. And so what I've seen is like, once people have tasted and seen the fruit of their generosity, it becomes contagious and they just start pulling their network into it. And it becomes like the new, instead of whatever small talk you make about what's the recent purchase you made and you know what your travel plans are around the world this next year, it becomes how many lives can we impact together for the kingdom of God? And it just creates buzz and excitement in family networks and friend networks. And I've been blown away that I have the opportunity to have a front row seat into some of these people's decision makings. And it, and it actually puts me to shame. You know, because it, it makes me say, man, if I ever, you know, I don't have a whole lot, but I mean, if I had much, what would I do with it? Could I be like these guys? You know, they've become my heroes, basically, and my role models. Yeah, I think you are 100% on target when you talk about generosity being contagious. We have just heard that over and over from the people that we've talked to and people that we've had on this show. And I mean, God must have designed it that way, because that certainly seems to be how it plays out. And you're exactly right. It just sucks people in all around you. Once you experience that freedom and joy and a deep sense of fulfillment and purpose. So before we finish up, Matt, if you could just give people a quick explanation for how they could get more involved and never thirst. If from some of the things that they've heard, they want to be a part of what you guys are doing and, and get involved themselves. How would somebody do that? Yeah, we're on all the usual platforms on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. If you're interested in giving to the organization, uh, neverthirstwater.org is where you can find us and get to know us a little bit, see what we're up to, where we're working in the world. And we would love to have you be part of the Neverthirst family. And I would just also say that we take the stewardship of the gift incredibly seriously. You know, we, we feel like it's our responsibility to steward what God has entrusted to you that you're giving to us. You know, there's a myriad of things that people could give to. And so if they're going to choose to give to us, we consider that a tremendous, tremendous responsibility and honor. And so we're going to take you on a donor journey that keeps you well informed of where we are in the project and then show you at the end, obviously, where exactly that money went starting at a certain level. But even if it's not at a certain level, you'll be getting updates on what kind of projects we're doing and what we use that for. So we, we would love to see you. We'd love to engage with you. We're pretty accessible. We're pretty lean. If you want to just call directly and have a conversation with me, my cell phone number is 404-987-9222. So love to hear from you. All right. And I encourage all of you to check out Never Thirst and what they're doing. We have been deeply encouraged just getting to talk to Matt and hearing the Never Thirst story ourselves. Matt, before we finish up for today, we just wanted to get to our manager minute. Just a reminder, at the end of every episode, you know, we talk all this time about being managers of what God has given us to manage on His behalf. And so we like to give quick examples for ways that people can manage that money wisely and, and be a part of what God's doing. So, when we have guests on the show, we like to give our guests a chance to give uh, an example of their own. So do you have any suggestions for what somebody might be able to do with some of that excess? Yeah, I love that you guys include this. And, and I like the diversity of thought that's come up on the show. And I just would have two things that I will add. The first one is, I, I think it's a massive responsibility of every parent to teach their children how to view money, use money, manage money, spend money, and give money. And some things that I've seen donors do and some things that we've done sporadically and not as well as, and not with as much conviction as I just said it in my own family is to have your children either give them a certain amount of money or tell them you would match a certain amount of money that they would want to give away and, and have them go and figure out what they actually care about. 
you know, and, and put parameters about around it and say, okay, this is the things that our family is not going to do. But within the realm of the gospel, gospel ministry, like is what I would say in our, our family, what are the things that captivate your heart that you would like to give money to? And let's do something as a family. And I can't tell you, you know, I have probably two handfuls of, you know, experiences where I've met parents and I asked them or just peers. And I've asked them, how did you hear about Neverthirst? And they're like, man, my, my kid learned about the water crisis and came home and said, we got to help these people. You know, these are little kids, you know, and they had no idea about the water crisis and they had no idea how to address it. And then they found Neverthirst because their kids and they were looking up gospel water organizations, you know, Christian water organizations. And, and, and it was birthed in a child, you know, and then that got their parents involved and then it became a thing that they all did together. And so I, I would say, Encourage your children. If you have excess money, give it to them and ask them to find something and do the research on their own on something that they're passionate about and begin to stoke and fan the flame of passion for giving at a young age. The other thing is, is if you find yourself with that discretionary income and, and things you want to give away, start a matching fund, you know, with something that you know that you're already passionate about or that you're at least interested in and bring your friends into it because the, because giving is contagious, what God has given you in excess, I think. If you say, hey, God has given us this, I'm going to do this with it, and I would love for you to join me, you double, triple, quadruple, 10x, whatever that is, and you can do a whole lot of good, get a whole lot of engagement, spur a ton of deep and real conversation with friends just around generosity. And so those would be my two cents and two points. Yeah, I love that. I have four kids five and under. And I can't think of a better way to get them excited about giving from an early age and, you know, just to pull them into the whole process. That's an awesome idea. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us, Matt. Uh, we really appreciate everything that you're doing with Never Thirst and all the experience that you've shared with us. So thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It was a treat. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line or anything else you heard on the show today, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. Send us any questions you have, and we'll answer them on one of our future episodes. Even better, join the conversation on the Finish Line forums. There you can discuss your thoughts about recent episodes and ask questions about the Finish Line process. We also post our upcoming episode topics in the group so we can hear your thoughts about each topic and hear specifically what you want us to discuss on the show. Check it out at finishlinepledge.com slash forum. As always, if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 18. That's all we have for today. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.